Deep inside every one of us is a lion waiting to be unleashed. Are you ready to be unleashed into your destiny? As we stand on the edge of time, the web of deception is being unraveled. Carl Joseph offers you the red pill and the keys to unlock the shackles of your mind. Get ready to be transformed by God's supernatural power. Let's join him now. Friend, perhaps there's no better way to witness to our friends, family, and colleagues than to reveal to them that history is written in the Bible in advance. Yes, I said it. God wrote historical events in advance, having full knowledge of their outcome, whether they be battles, empires, kings that would rise and fall, or even the rise and fall and rebirth of the nation of Israel itself. Think about it. If we compare Jehovah God Jesus Christ to the pantheon of other false gods, none of those false gods or prophetic pretenders foretold prophetic events like our God does, and in some cases, hundreds of years in advance. That's why the Holy Bible is unique among all other religious writings, because it houses the truth, friend. Consider this. If you were an atheist and I walked up to you and asked you, hey, listen, what if I were to tell you that there's a God and he wrote in a book with 40 authors over thousands of years, the precise events and timings of those events hundreds of years prior to their manifestation, would you consider reading this book? Well, friend, that's exactly what we have in the word of God. It's history written before it takes place. Some have pointed out that the word history is a play on words, meaning his story. And the he is Jesus Christ, friend. It's his story, and it will become our history too. But we too have a part to play, friend, in his story. In fact, by witnessing to other people and winning them for Christ, you too can change a small part of history because you're changing the very destiny of those who are headed straight for hell and putting them on the path to eternal life, friend, by sharing the gospel. Perhaps the very best example of history being written in advance is the infamous example of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that the minor prophet Daniel interpreted in Daniel chapter 2. Many scholars contend, and I agree as a pastor, that the book of Daniel is pivotal to understanding the end-time events set before us. The book of Daniel is, for the most part, a prophetical history of genteel world power from the reign of Nebuchadnezzar right up to the first coming of Christ. It's pretty much impossible to understand prophecy unless we take the time to study the book of Daniel. When we look at the book of Revelation in particular, you could argue that it's merely an expounded and revised version of the book of Daniel in many places. Friend, this book of Daniel shows God's hand of sovereignty over the nations and the course of their destinies. Although man may sway events this way or that, the underlying course of history will inevitably come out in God's favor at the very end of time. Now, the most important chapters in the book of Daniel are chapters 2, 7, 9, 11, and 12. Don't have time to get into them all today. But the book covers the span of about 73 years from the reign of Nebuchadnezzar up to King Cyrus in 534 BC. I would urge you, friend, to study these key chapters in your own time. But chapters 2, 7, and 9 outline Jewish and Gentile history in particular. You see, this was a troublesome time for Daniel and the nation of Israel as they were exiled far from Jerusalem in the city of Babylon, the capital seat of the ancient land of Babylonia in southern Mesopotamia. This city was situated on the Euphrates River, some 50 miles south of modern-day Baghdad. Daniel was a deeply devout and highly intelligent man. He lived a blameless life amidst a quest for holiness, evident by his non-compromising spirit. 
Daniel excelled the very greatest of the Babylonian sages and scholars of his day and held a high position within the king's court because he was anointed by the Lord. Now, starting with chapter 2, God gave Daniel a vision of hope. It was Israel's darkest hour up to that point in time. Israel was entrenched in idolatry and the worship of false gods, and as a result, God judged them for their disobedience by leading them into defeat and eventually exile. Let's not forget that Israel, the northern kingdom, fell to Assyria in 722 BC, and consequently many decades later, the southern kingdom of Judah fell to the invading Chaldean forces of Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in 597 BC. Now what's fascinating, and frankly where God is showing off, Daniel provides a complete overview of the four genteel kingdoms that would play pivotal roles in world history in chapters 2 and 7, hundreds of years prior to their inception. These kingdoms were Babylon, represented by gold, followed by Medo-Persia, represented by silver, and then we have Greece, represented by brass, which is an alloy consisting of copper and zinc, and finally Rome, represented by iron. But we must never forget that after Daniel outlined these four kingdoms, he concluded by saying that all these lands, which comprised of the former Roman Empire, would undergo an amalgamation or future coalition of nations into a ten-nation confederacy. But more on that later. What's interesting is Daniel chapter 2 reveals the future kingdoms of the earth from a genteel perspective, whereas Daniel 7 reveals the same kingdoms from God's perspective. There is one thing I wish to point out right up front, friend. In the nations which I will describe to you shortly, you'll notice that from head to toe, the value of the metal is decreasing as we go down the statue. Yet the strength of the metal is simultaneously increasing as one ventures from head to toe. The point being is that each empire's military prowess became increasingly stronger as one progresses down the statue and the geographical extent of its conquest grew in tandem with it. So although the currency or value of each metal in Nebuchadnezzar's statue is diminishing, the extent of each empire grew in proportion to its loss in value as well. So Daniel chapter 2 reveals the four kingdoms in the form of a statue. And let me reiterate, the book of Daniel was written by him shortly after he was taken hostage and into exile around 605 BC, some hundreds of years before some of these kingdoms ever came into power. These four kingdoms revealed in Daniel chapter 2, 29 through 35, were revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. And this king asked Daniel the prophet to interpret the dream for him. Babylon, the city in which Daniel was in exile, ruled the world at the time, from 612 to about 539 BC. And it was represented by the head of gold in the king's dream. Why? Because gold was so abundant within its borders. Its currency was gold. Its walls and gardens were famed throughout the region. Babylon was most assuredly the very first world empire, and it certainly basked in golden opulence. Babylon was one unit, like a head, and head of all empires at the time. However, God also predicted the downfall of Babylon via the prophet Isaiah. The destruction of Babylon is pictured in Isaiah chapter 13 as part of God's program to punish this ungodly regime. Although God did use Babylon as a tool to chastise Israel for its disobedience of worshipping other gods, in fairness, God judged Babylon as well, showing himself as merciful and just. The historic conquering of Babylon by the Medes and Persians is mentioned specifically in Isaiah 13:17 through 19, and I'm going to read it. 
Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, Babylon, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow. Friend, this is where we segue into the second kingdom of Daniel's vision. That would be the silver upper body representing Medo-Persia. The fact that this representation of the upper body has two shoulders is symbolic of the dual empires, both the Medes and the Persians, that united to bring down Babylon. What's fascinating is the arrogance of Babylon, who deemed their city walls impenetrable, albeit the leader of the Medo-Persian Empire, King Cyrus the Great, patron and deliverer of the Jews, showed his tactical genius and the fulfillment of God's prophecy in the book of Isaiah when he ordered the river Euphrates to be dammed up, allowing his encroaching armies to march down the riverbanks and under the walls of the city, under cover of darkness, taking Babylon in one night. Friend, God's word is true. God even called King Cyrus his anointed. Next, we have Greece, represented by the belly and thighs of brass. Greece rose rapidly as a world empire under the leadership of Alexander the Great, who went as far south as Egypt and as far east as India in his short time on earth. Alexander died at the age of 32 years old in 323 BC, having conquered the known world, but in the process lost his own soul. Greece's empire was later split into four regions under the four generals that served Alexander during his lifetime. And last, by no means least, we have Rome, represented by the two legs of iron and the two feet having ten toes. These ten toes do not mesh well together, friend, as they're comprised of iron and clay. This separation is salient because the last empire comes in two phases. This infers the last kingdom will be part democracy and part totalitarian. The first phase of Rome was, of course, prevalent during the life of Christ, and it was overcome in 476 AD by numerous barbarian attacks. However, these feet, having ten toes, represents the second and final phase of genteel world domination until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, as Jesus outlined in Luke's Gospel. The times of the Gentiles refers to the extensive period of history when the Gentiles, not the Jews, are the dominant world powers and the people of Israel are subject to those powers. The formation of ten world regions or empires is one of the very last signals that Christ will soon come, friend. And what if I were to tell you that these ten regions are already in place? In 1973, the Club of Rome, which was founded in 1968 and a precursor to the United Nations, divided the world into ten regions or ten economic trading blocks. This conspicuous map, which coincided precisely with Daniel's end times prophecy in chapter 2, was outlined by the Club of Rome in their report entitled Regionalized and Adaptive Model of the Global World System. Even today, the European Commission includes a world map on their website showing the division of the world into ten regions. Friend, the Bible is true. These ten regions are also echoed in Daniel's parallel prophetic passage of chapter 7, described as ten horns or kings. 
Friend, at the very end of Daniel's vision, in verses 44 through 45, it says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Amen. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Friend, Jesus himself will crush the coming new world order represented by this coalition of ten regions or empires in the earth. This ten region empire will eventually be the platform that the Antichrist utilizes for his attempt at world domination. Christ's rulership will commence shortly thereafter with a coming theocratic kingdom having its dominion for a thousand years, also known as the millennial reign of Christ. And we, friend, will rule and reign with Christ on this earth in this coming kingdom. Wow, I can feel there's excitement in the air as I make this broadcast. Jesus said he would return to this earth to take his church, and he's already prepared a place for you, friend. We're already seeing some of the warning signs come to pass, as mentioned in Christ's Olivet Discourse. That means Jesus is banging at the rapture door, friend. He's itching to return for his glorious bride. Following our sudden departure from the earth, God's focus will then shift back to the nation of Israel as the time of the Gentiles draws to a close and the world will be thrust into its darkest period yet, better known as the tribulation period, a seven-year time of Jacob's trouble, also known as Daniel's 70th week. But more on Daniel's 70th week in another broadcast. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who's witnessed God's supernatural power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl is a unique researcher who investigates current affairs, societal trends, technology, cults, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button 